Welcome to part two of Keeping Your Savings, Where to Put It While Balancing Safety and Growth. In the previous podcast, I set the stage for looking at two strategies that balance safety and growth with stocks and bonds. We reviewed the information that you were bombarded with and looked at how you process that data. Today, we'll go into deeper detail in those same two areas, then articulate the two strategies that are designed to incorporate your values with sound financial techniques when navigating an inflationary period like today. Specifically, we'll look at the overall pluses and minuses of stocks and bonds, much of which you're familiar with, but we'll look at them from the angle of balancing safety and growth. Next, we'll examine your biases regarding stocks and bonds, then describe the strategies to employ. Finally, we'll list the resources for your additional learning. That's today's podcast. Now, the specifics of balancing growth and safety. Again, we're sticking with stocks and bonds. They're the most interesting, they're the most complicated, and they have the greatest rewards. So let's define our terms first. Safety here means a low likelihood of loss of principle. And loss of principle can occur in many ways. It can be inflation, it could be uh, the value of the stock dropping, it could be the yield on the bond going up, which means the price go down. For Benjamin Graham, it meant that what's his definition of safety was what something cost, say a stock or a bond or a piece of property, was sufficiently discounted less than its true value that there would always be a margin of safety. The difference between what he paid and what he called the intrinsic value the intrinsic value being what it would pay him when he cashed it in, that margin of safety existed because of what he paid for it. So that's safety. Growth. For me, growth means that savings will average 12 to 15% annual increase over their life. We're using the word average here. 2022 is not an average year by any stretch of the imagination. So, there may be people out there making 12 to 15% this year, but most people are hoping to minimize their losses so that when they come out of this period, they will have lost sufficiently less so that when the upside comes back, they will be gaining ground at a faster pace. I'm going to use 12 to 15% for average because it's measurable, it's clear. And if you want to replace it with another number, it's pretty easy to do. So with the definitions in place, let's see what balancing looks like. We'll do it in three steps. First, I will briefly list general pluses and minuses of stocks and bonds that you are undoubtedly familiar with. Then I'll add some practical elements, a sort of a shorthand probability matrix that further qualifies safety and growth. I'll apply two strategies borrowing a framework from game theory in which a person works to minimize their maximum losses, and then one from Peter Lynch's book, One Up on Wall Street. Pluses and minuses. The pluses of stocks, over time, they have the greatest gains. Since 1928, per Investopedia, the average gain has been 11.82%, and that's with the Great Depression thrown in. There's many ways to hold stocks. The markets are regulated and some stocks hold their own during inflationary period. The minuses, a person could lose their entire investment. Number two, they require effort, insight, 
or a trusted advisor. Number three, at specific times, like right now, averages don't count, stocks sustain significant losses, and this is an uncomfortable and anxious process. Bonds, the pluses are the historical return is a steady four to 6% since 1926. They're highly liquid, they're highly regulated, and treasury bonds are considered risk-free. You will get your principal back if you hold it to maturity, and they're liquid. There's a big market for them. The minuses are lower return than stocks. They're not as simple as a savings account. Rates and values do change if the bond is not held to maturity. And if you're actively managing the bonds, it also takes some work. Now let's apply the personal and practical considerations. I would like you to answer two questions and then I will present two small but very interesting pieces of information before we move on to strategy. Number one, considering just stocks or bonds as where your savings will go, how are you most likely to save with either vehicle? Will it be easier to make regular deposits to a brokerage firm or to purchase U.S. Treasuries? Will one step or the other take more research and possibly derail the process? Make a list of pluses and minuses that are very personal and that will determine your likelihood to follow through on what you want to do. Plus and minus lists are pretty simplistic, but guess what? They work. Question two, what are your experiential biases about stocks and about bonds? Most people don't think about this, but there are powerful biases lurking beneath the surface. Think about the question for a couple of minutes and write down what comes to mind. You don't necessarily need to be logical or orderly or neat. You can take it one step further and after writing down your biases, perform some Google queries to counter those biases and see what you get. For example, you might think you have to hold a bond for five years. Google, how long do I have to own bonds to make money? Or something along those lines. Now here are your two facts to consider. If you have a brokerage account or an IRA account, there is a form of insurance called SIPC, Securities Investor Protection Corporation. It provides a type of insurance for investors against failure of the brokerage firm. It's not FDIC insurance. It doesn't have government backing, but there is a form of insurance on a limited basis for stocks. I'll provide the link for that information. The second fact, Treasury notes, bills, and bonds can be bought directly from the federal government. You don't have to buy a mutual fund to be holding uh, Treasury uh, bills, notes, or bonds, or you don't have to have a huge sum of money as uh, is required in some brokerage accounts. You can go directly to the Treasury. I'll post the link. Now for the strategies. There are many strategies that you can use in balancing safety and growth and all you have to do is look at the trade and account section of your brokerage account, or you can pick up the phone and call them, and advisors will be very happy to articulate alternatives for you. But here's two that take into account the way that you look at the world and incorporate some behavioral finance. The first is a strategy called maximin, or maximizing your minimum losses. 
The full decision theory version uses statistical and regression analysis, but we're not going to do that here because in those models, the mathematics is supposed to provide the certainty for those calculations. In our case, we're less concerned with certainty. I think it's unattainable and we're more focused on probabilities and preferences that exist within the context of your and my values and financial circumstances. What I'm about to describe for you, I will also post on my website because it's really a sort of a form. I picked this tool because I'm assuming that inflation, interest rate movement, and other factors are, are strong headwinds and likely to affect stocks and bonds negatively. Or in less neutral language, a person's principal will probably decrease on paper. And part of my reasoning for that is thinking about October of 1987, when I watched the stock market take a major hit, a significant portion of its value was lost in less than a week in October of 87. But by August of 1989, all those losses had been regained. So we'll perform a short assessment of gain or loss risk preferences and assessment of investment vehicle characteristics and factors you're looking at to achieve your objectives. In order to apply this strategy, you will make two assumptions and then you will make some projections or estimates. The assumptions are timing. If funds were to be lost, do you have a one year, two year, three years for them to bounce back? What is your personal tolerance for them to be replaced? In 2020, we bounced back in less than six months. What's your tolerance? Second assumption, what's the amount of money involved in this mental exercise? Those are your assumptions. Now for projections, you will rank the following four things, which is most important to you. Preservation of principle, a hybrid of principle preservation and beating inflation, or a hybrid of principle preservation and 12% growth. Or finally, number four, 12% growth poised for post-inflation. Which is your preference or your goal? Now, an assessment of the environment. Where do you think inflation will be six months from now, one year from now, two years from now? What do you think the inflation rate will be? Secondly, what do you believe is the likelihood of a recession? 25%, 50%, 75%? 100%. The last factor is, what is the savings amount that you need to have access to two years from now after factoring in inflation and your risk preferences above? What is your projected value of your principal two years from now? That's strategy one. Strategy two is a stock market strategy outlined by Peter Lynch in his book, One Up on Wall Street. He states, never be out of the market. He then goes on to articulate how difficult it is to time bottoms and peaks of markets, and that a small number of days can contribute to significant gains. In addition to outlining the elements of his approach for selecting investments, Mr. Lynch spends a lot of time describing characteristics that a successful investor should have. I will cite several that he highlights repeatedly as essential. They are one, patience, two, persistence, 
Three, detachment. Four, willingness to do independent research. Lynch has other qualities, and since he is widely quoted, as well as having interviews that are posted on YouTube, you could explore those other qualities as well. The second element of Lynch's strategy is to consider looking at stocks like he does, did, and still does. He divides his holdings into categories, slow growers, stalwarts, cyclicals, fast growers, and turnarounds. During stressful times, and right now would qualify for that, in One Up on Wall Street, he selects those stocks from his categories that he believes will do best during this portion of the business cycle. We're in a trough now, so what companies are selling things people will always need and companies that will maintain their profit margins or most of their profit margins during an inflationary cycle. Companies like Kraft Heinz, Kimberly Clark, and Walmart come to mind as firms selling consumables that people will always shop at. So your tasks are rank yourself, five being high and one being low, in terms of the four Lynch desirable characteristics. Do that before you think about any specific stocks. And don't apply the Lake Wobegon classifications developed by Garrison Keeler and Prairie Home Companion, where all the women are strong, all the men are good looking, and all the children are above average. Spend some time looking at uncomfortable information as you rank yourself. Number two, let's assume that you ranked reasonably well. Let's test your independent research ranking by asking you to spend between one and two hours looking up companies in one or two of Peter Lynch's categories, and then produce a list of maybe three candidates for your investment. As the final part of your exercise, answer two questions. Did I enjoy doing that research? Number two, did I look for negative information about my candidates? That should be useful information for you. Finally, resources. There will be three sets of resources posted on my website, Financial Frameworks. I think it's always a good idea for you to be able to check out what someone is telling you, and in this case, to check out the data that I've used. Possibly you have better insights, or you have complementary, or you can dig deeper. Those are my reasons. The first set of resources are citations from today's podcast. The second set are behavioral finance resources that I believe is worth your time. The third category is specific stock and bond pieces that I believe are insightful. Okay, the podcast citations. Number one is a YouTube video, Julia Child, How to Flip a Potato Dish. Number two, now from the headlines, what are safe investments during volatile markets? And the links to all of these are posted on the website. The second headline is from Deep Dive by Philip Van Dorn. The stock market is in trouble. The third headline, Bloomberg, a June 24th, 2022 article, where to invest a million right now. The fourth article is on bonds is from the New York Times, dated 9-30-22 by Jeff Summers. The last article from the podcast is the headline, We Are Seeing Very Attractive Valuations, Billionaire Dan Loeb. Each of these articles has more detail than what I provided in the webcast, and it may be useful to you. The next citation is from Investopedia, the S&P 500 Average Return, 1928 to 2021. The next citation is Historical Return on Stocks, Bonds, Notes, and Bills, 1928 to 2021, from the Stern School of Business, NYU.
Behavioral Finance. I recommend the book, How Customers Think, Essential Insights into the Mind of the Marketplace by Gerald Zaltman, Harvard Business School Press. His observations are both grounded in science and business nomenclature. The second book is Thinking Fast and Slow, which was a groundbreaking behavioral finance tome. It's by Daniel Kahneman. Finally, a more academic article, Small Cues Change Savings Choices from the Journal of Economic Behavior and Organization. And that ties into what I was saying about making choices based on convenience. Is the bank near where you live? Is it hard to access? Finally, stock and bond related resources. Number one is The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. Secondly, One Up on Wall Street. I've mentioned this repeatedly by Peter Lynch. It was published in 1989. Third is The Link to Treasury Direct. It's very informative. It's a little bit complicated, but it is the source. And finally, a link to the FRED website. That is the St. Louis Federal Reserve Economic Data website. I recommend using the link to the main page, then typing in a general search query for something that you're interested in. You're interested in prices, you're interested in history for the last six months, maybe you care about corporate bonds, but a general inquiry. And then when the results pop up, selecting from the results to further refine your focus. You'll learn a lot that way. I like this particular method because it's built on what I already know, and I had to figure out what I wanted to uh, query but it takes me to topics that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of, but very often are useful contributions to my framework and are things that I can actually use in selecting investments. I hope that you found this useful. We will continue examining how to hold on to savings with our practical bent and with a serious nod to behavioral finance. That's what we'll do in the next podcast. And if I feel I've missed something in the area of bonds or or stocks, I'll include it and then we'll move on to other vehicles like savings accounts and certificates of deposit. Thank you for listening. Mike Lehan, Financial Frameworks.